over the last few weeks, we have been looking at what worship is like in heaven so that we can grow our worship life here as a church community, as a worshiping community on earth as it is in heaven. And we started um, on the 8th of January looking at Revelation chapter 4, where there's a beautiful image of the throne room in heaven. And there's a scene of humble submission. Worship there isn't hands in the air, but it's lying face down before God in humility and reverence and awe. And then on the 15th of January, James powerfully shared, powerfully and passionately, James is a passionate guy, but that Sunday, God really grew the passion and, and brought it out of him as he lifted us, uh, lifted our eyes to the awesomeness of God's, to gather a sense of awe and wonder. And we respond with worship at everything that God is. And then Dave last week shared from Revelation chapter 7 with a scene of different people from different places, different languages, tribes, etc., etc., gathering together with one focus, and that focus is Jesus, and gathering together with one voice, and that's to lift up Jesus' name. Today's message is the last in the series of As in Heaven. But please don't think that this is the, well, tick, we're like heavenly worship now. This is just a, a four-week injection or reflection and setting a direction of where God is taking us as a worshiping community. We haven't got there yet, and I'm not saying that in a negative way. But as someone came up to me after the service on the 8th, they quoted a comedian and said, there's more. There's more. They did it in an accent. I won't bother. Today's message, I couldn't decide on the title. Either holiness and hallelujahs or purity and praise. Whichever one you think is most helpful for you to remember, choose that one as a title. They're both saying a similar thing. And what we're going to do is have a look at a passage towards the end of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, that contains something, a message for us about purity and being prepared and what God is, has, has done and will do in terms of holiness and then how we respond with praise. And Danny is going to come and bring us our reading. Okay, cool. <clears throat> After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who has corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged her, uh, uh, sorry, he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. 
And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up from forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters and the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but, him, but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thank you. This is an awe-inspiring passage, and some things are clear to understand, some things are weird. Some things are difficult, but it's worth trying to understand them. And over these next uh, 20 or so minutes, we're going to just have a look at some things in this passage that help us to understand what worship, or the kind of worship that's taking place in heaven at this point in time, and how actually it's worth celebrating it here on earth as well. But I'm not going to just ignore the fact that some of this is quite sobering. We've just sung, we welcome the mighty God of love with praise. I wonder if you've ever, ever sung a song, we welcome the mighty God who has um, blazing, right, his eyes like blazing fire on his head are mighty crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. And out of his mouth comes a sword. Have we welcomed him? Same God. Same Jesus. 
same one that we call King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And today we will have some of our thinking of who we are worshipping expanded, I hope. But before we do that, I want us to think about um, the fact that there's an outpouring of praise there's an outpouring of praise. There, there are uh, four occasions where the, the word hallelujah is shouted or cried out in this passage. The word hallelujah meaning praise God or Yahweh be praised. The first time it says hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. That's in verse 1. That's worth praising, isn't it? Making a loud shout about, isn't it? Salvation, Yes. Glory and power belong to our God, yes. And the outpouring of praise isn't just a, praise God, he's given us salvation. In Revelation 4 and 5 and in other passages there, it actually says that they say their praise to God. And on the 8th of January I said it's okay to just say your praise to God. But there are times, and this is one of them, in Scripture and in our lives, that we need to make some noise and not be reserved and not hold back. And this is a challenge for each of us because it's something to do with how we may be viewed or by others or by ourselves. Well, we don't want to look silly. We don't want to sound silly. We've got to save face. But it comes back to that humble submission and actually realizing that this is worth celebrating more than by keeping our appearance up. So, it's okay to shout your praise. There we go. Now, these people... In this passage, these creatures, the the 24 elders and the living creatures, they pour out their praise, shouting verse 1 and 3 and 6, not because they have to, not because they were created to do. Oh, God decides one day, I'm going to create shouters of praise. No. It's because they see God do something that they see worth shouting about and making a noise about. They see how mighty he is. They see how powerful he is. They worship him because they see everything that he has done in the preceding chapters. And they shout out. And a party takes place celebrating what God has done. One of the first things that we see is this. They celebrate because God takes sin seriously. God takes sin seriously, and and they celebrate that. In verse 1, we've read, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Verse 2, for true and just are his judgments. That's okay to carry on praising God about. Then, verse 2 carries on, he has condemned the great prostitute, Was it just me, or when Danny was reading this, we were thinking, hang on, 
this is about praising God. And it's getting a bit strange now. He's condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He's avenged on her the blood of her servants. And then it gets even more serious because in verse 3, they shouted hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The people in heaven, the living creatures, the elders, this great multitude that are shouting hallelujah, that's Shouting hallelujah because God takes sin seriously, serious enough to provide salvation, but serious enough also to bring judgment. When was the last time you worshipped God because He is the judge and will one day bring judgment on all things? Let me put it in this way then. Babylon. The great in, in verse, sorry, in chapter 17 and 18, uh, we, we hear of Babylon, and it's a sy- symbol. It's not just uh, the, the city of Babylon, but symbolic of all um, systems and people and structures that have spewed forth evil and darkness and temptation and sin, described in, in chapter 18 as a dwelling for demons, a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt of, for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal, and it goes on. In earlier chapters, from, verse, from chapter 6 all the way through to, to chapter 19, and then um, after verse 16 of chapter 19, there's a bit more until um, the end of chapter 20. God is bringing judgment. Now, when was the last time that we thought, actually, one day God will rid this earth of the things that cause brokenness and sadness and illness and sickness and perversion and evil and darkness? When was the last time we celebrated the fact that one day God will rid this earth of all of that? In heaven, they do that. They celebrate that it isn't just a dealing with it once. But as we read in the book of Revelation, God deals with sin once and for all. Judgment. but also victory. And in verse 1 and 2, we see that tension of God's taking sin seriously by bringing judgment. And it's right to celebrate that and worship God because He will bring an end to all suffering and sin and perversion and evil, and He will deal with it righteously and fully. It's right to celebrate that. But if you're anything like me, that's also a little bit scary because you recognize, hang on, I'm sinful. I do things intentionally or unintentionally that go against God's way. And what we see celebrated here is not just his judgment, but also his gift of salvation. In heaven, there's a celebration taking place and that will take place because God deals with sin seriously. As a church, we need to do the same. As the passage goes on, there's a voice coming from the throne, God on the throne, Jesus on the throne next to him and and, and things, and there's a voice saying, worship 
God or praise God, all you servants. This isn't just for those that like praising God or making a noise or shouting, etc. This is all God's people praising God. And then in verse 6 we see that they celebrate because God reigns. They've celebrated because of his judgment um, and salvation, that he takes sin seriously. They celebrate and praise God because he instructs them to and invites everyone to do so. Everyone's in the choir. Everyone's in the worship group. Whether you can sing or not, whether you can play or not, whether you say a declaration or shout it from the rooftops or move or paint or create or sit in silent prayer, everyone is called to praise God. And as the passage goes on, we're reminded why. I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. I wonder what the loudest noise you have heard or a crowd would be. Maybe in a sports stadium where the team that you're cheering for wins, I won't go into examples because I know that some people will get distracted by the team or or not. Um, But when that cheer goes up, you, you know it's happening. You know people are celebrating. I want us to be a community, and God wants this church family to be a community that celebrate that God is on the throne and they make some noise about it. They make it known, not just in this building, but in this community that God reigns. I wonder if you've been to a party. I wonder maybe if you've gone to a Kaylee and only some people are dancing. Oh, no, I don't dance. I'm one of those people at times. Nikki loves dancing. I'm not so good at it but I allow my ability and perception of whether I'm good at it or not and also I want to save a bit of face to stop me from dancing like dads. Not you dads if if you're watching later on. My parents often watch in the evening. Um, I'm not saying anything about you, your dancing dad, but dad dancing. I wonder if you're one of the people that sits at a dance or whether you'll join in. I wonder if you are one of the people as we grow together as a worshiping community, that will join in this great multitude, this roar of rushing waters that will declare hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Or whether you will stay quiet. So many of us need to know that God is reigning. Pastorally, globally, economically, politically, whatever the the situation is, we need to know that God is reigning and it is worth celebrating whatever our circumstances. 
If you are someone who, who's going through a difficult time at the moment and you need to know that God reigns, can I encourage you to read Psalm 93, 97, and 99? If you um, forget which Psalms I've just said, look at Psalm 90s, and you'll get a feeling and a flavor of God reigning. Psalm 93, 97, 99. God reigns and how we should respond. Worship is taking place as the passage goes on, celebrating because the Lord's bride is ready. There are two moments, three moments, that I really, really love when I'm conducting a wedding. One, when we hear that the bride has arrived, big sigh of relief. It's wonderful when brides are on time. When brides are a little bit late, I panic even if the groom doesn't. But there's a big sigh of relief that the bride has arrived. A moment that I love as well is the look on the groom's face when he sees her, his, his bride coming down. That utter look of joy and love and adoration. I also like seeing the bride coming down, but I'm including that in that moment because the bride has come and she's ready. She's not wearing um, raggedy clothes, but she's taken time to prepare herself. And she comes dressed in, in beauty, white symbolizing purity and cleanliness. The third bit is during the vows. The third bit that I love is during the vows where they say to one another, everything that I am and have, I give to you. I'm not hiding anything, but I'm giving you everything. And in this passage, we see that a symbol, imagery of the church as the bride of Jesus. In verse 7, let's rejoice and be glad and give Jesus glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. There's a partnership here. It says that the bride has made herself ready. And in verse 8, it says that fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. The bride has got to do something to get herself ready for the wedding. Get herself ready for marriage. The church needs to do things. The church needs to make intentional decisions. And not just the church gathered, but actually the individual people who make up the church. We need to choose holiness and purity. We need to prepare ourselves. If God came, if Jesus returned tomorrow, would you be ready to unite with him for eternity? There are things that we need to do to get ourselves ready, but the beauty the absolute beauty of Jesus the groom uniting for eternity with the church, his bride, is that for the only time probably in history, the groom helps get the bride ready. Jesus the groom gets his bride, the church, ready and helps purify her, helps cleanse her, helps prepare her for eternity worshiping God. 
Are we doing everything we can to live in holiness and see that as part of our worship life? And are we allowing Jesus to do everything he wants to do in our lives to get us ready for him? As John hears and sees these things, he's told to write these things down and he falls down and worships the, the, um, the angelic being. And the angel does a great thing. He says, don't do that. I love the, the, the bluntness. Come on, don't do that. And he encourages John to focus again on Jesus. And as John regains his focus, he sees heaven open. I just want to say that when we worship, we should be expecting encounters and visions of what God is going to do and what God is doing and what God is like. Every single time in Scripture when we read the phrase, and heaven opens, or and the heavens were open, God reveals something to the people that are there seeing, um, seeing what, what, he, what he's going to show. Uh, either it's a confirmation of um, Jesus or Jesus on the throne, or it's a vision of God or a vision of Jesus and who he is like. So when we worship, when we come together, when we worship in our own spaces, we should be expecting heaven open and a revelation of God in all his fullness. As Danny read this, I wonder what you felt. The, the remaining passage, verse 11 to 16, is quite sobering and awe-inspiring and reassuring and fear-inducing. All of those things wrapped up in a fuller understanding of Jesus. Almighty oh, God of love, we welcome you with praise. Almighty oh, warrior of God, we welcome you with praise. And with Jesus, he holds these tensions perfectly. The passage describes Jesus as faithful and true. He's described as the word of God. Armies of heaven follow behind him. He wages a righteous war. Holy fire is in his eyes. He has multiple royal crowns on his head. Out from his mouth, symbolically, a sword comes. He's ruler, he's powerful, and he releases the fierce wrath of God the Almighty who takes sin seriously. When we come to worship God, whether it's in our own quiet time or gathered together, we need to worship God in the fullness of who he is and know that in Jesus, he holds that tension perfectly together. He's a God of love and grace, and he's also a God of truth. He's a God, um, he's the God full of love and holiness. He's a God of judgment and gentleness. He's the God who died and rose again. 
when we worship God as he is worshipped in heaven, we need to grow in an awareness of who he is more and more fully. And God makes that possible for us to do it because he opens heaven. And by his Holy Spirit and through his holy words, we're able to get a bigger understanding of who God is. But there's one verse here that shows that until we're finally there, we will never fully get that full picture. It says in verse 12, Jesus has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. There'll be parts of God that we won't fully get or understand or appreciate until we're there face to face. So what do we do? I believe God wants us to grow as a worshipping community that is marked by humble purity, but also by the praise that we give to God. Purity and praise, holiness and hallelujahs. Growing in our purity and holiness, because God takes sin seriously, but also growing in our praise of God. Trying to be a little bit less reserved, holding um, well, a little bit less of keeping up our own appearance and humbly praising God with everything that we are and have. In a few moments, we're going to come into a time of communion. And as we do so, this is a helpful first step as we grow as a worshipping community. What do we do? Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Eugene Peterson, the um, author of The Message, puts it like this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it even without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. God is growing us as a worshiping community marked by humble purity and praise that we give to God. Let's pray. Father God, this passage is sobering, but also celebratory. This passage describes your judgment and holiness and you taking sin seriously. And instead of running away from that, we are going to run to you, Jesus, because we also recognize that the passage describes your gift of salvation 
and we give you glory and thanks and praise because you have saved us. And that you, Jesus, have come as the Lamb of God, described in Scripture as uh, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice from God that will take away all our sin and shame forever. I thank you that you deal with sin seriously. And we praise you for that. During this time of response and prayer and communion, lead us in steps of purity and grow our boldness and willingness to praise you and to declare hallelujah, praise the Lord because you reign and you are working in your church. Getting us ready, and you will present us holy and without blemish on that day as we unite with you for eternity. Jesus, I pray for anyone in, in uh, this room or watching online who is not yet a follower of you. And I just want to pray, God, that with the passage um, verses that talk about your holiness and judgment, that you will help them understand that this is something to take seriously and to run to you and your offer of rescue. As we come into a time of communion, I'm going to pray a prayer that you can pray to become a follower of Jesus, but also, if you're anything like me, you like saying the same prayer because the way into our faith and into God's family is the way on, the way to continue. So Father God, we recognize that we are sinners. I am a sinner and I need your rescue. And I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. I thank you that you offered salvation to me and I need that salvation. I want to face uh, eternity with you and not judge judgment away from you. So I come to you now for the first time or the manyth time and I come to you and I thank you for your forgiveness that you showed on the cross, that you won on the cross when you died. We thank you for the life that you can give us now because you didn't stay dead, but you were raised victoriously. And that means that the end of my sin isn't the end of me, but it's the beginning of new life with you. And I pray, Jesus, that you will give me your Holy Spirit so I can live fully for you and with you, giving you praise with everything that I am. And I pray this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.